Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for our time together so far. What a glorious service. Just, just another privileged, wonderful opportunity to gather in worship and fellowship and, and love. Just love. And as we now open Your Word, Father, we ask that You will uh, speak to us as we begin another year, calendar year. Last week, we, we began looking at the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. And Lord, his desire to pursue Christ-likeness, pursue holiness, and, and what that means for us. And, and as we shared earlier about the churches in Laodicea and Ephesus, Lord, really, really kind of a gut check, really a heart check for us as we launch into 2015. So, so as we continue in your word this morning, Lord, prepare our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Speak truth. Let our hearts be softened. Let us be receptive. Let us not just be hearers, but ultimately doers. And as we do that, Lord, we know that you'll sanctify us. You'll transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. So we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Now, for those of you who weren't here last Sunday, we kicked off with a kind of a fun little quick video. And I thought we'd kick off with that again, just because it kind of hits it right where we are as we begin 2015. All right, so you can kill the lights and we'll play that video. This year, I'll spend less time with God. I will hide my faith from my coworkers. This year, I will spend more and tithe less. I will read the Bible as little as possible. I will remain silent when I know I should speak. This year. This year. This year. I will not share my faith with my best friend. I will shirk leadership responsibilities every chance I get. I will continue to justify my bad behavior. And give God my leftovers. This year? This year? This year? I will let the busyness of life squeeze God out. All right. What are you going to do this year? All of the above? Is that what I heard? <laughs> well, you came to the right place then. And we saw the core, the core of, of, of answering that video was if we're left to ourselves with our sinful, fallen nature, that's pretty much probably going to happen. In our pursuit of Christ-likeness, in our walk with Jesus, there is an, an, an intentionality, there is a proactivity, there is an exertion that is necessary. It is not let go and let God Okay, And it's also not, it's all about me. There is this decision we make in our heart and mind, and then we choose to be submitted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we work out this salvation. But if we're not even aware that we have to make proactive, intentional choices, by default, that's going to happen. Prime example at home. Anyone with kids or even just yourself, what happens to your room? <laughs> Thank you, Cindy, for your honesty. Left to itself, what tends to happen to my room, your kids' rooms, over time? You need a shovel, right? Right? You know that law that things tend to go from order to disorder, right? Left to themselves. Well, it's kind of the same in your, in your Christianity, in your Christian walk. Sure, you believe on Jesus. I'm not doubting that. Sure, you, you, you understand salvation by grace through faith. But if you don't understand that there's an intentionality and a proactivity that's required, kind of, you're just going to go from order to disorder. And, and without even meaning to, 
those kinds of things just happen. Because we weren't aware on the front end, and you know, I, I like the calendar year, because it's just kind of a fresh starting point. On the front end, okay, so, so teach us, Lord, what does it mean to be proactive and intentional? So look at Philippians 3. The context of this is the Apostle Paul sharing his passion and heart to know Christ and be like Christ, right? And so Philippians 3, looked at verse 12 last week. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, right? Love that. We looked at it. Hey, I'm humble. I'm in process, just like all of us. Nobody in this room is perfect, right? And he says, hey, I'm still in process. I'm still in this thing called sanctification. He says this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The key phrase in there, one of the key phrases is press on. And it's in your notes, right? To vigorously, uncompromisingly, continually as the habit of our life, work out your salvation. That's pretty energetic. That's pretty energetic. And we saw from Philippians 2 at the end of last year, the good news is it's God working in us energizing us amen right here's the thing the picture that the apostle paul is giving here which would be very familiar to his readers was an athletic event running he's talking he's saying hey like a runner in a race i am focused on the finish line i am focused right if you've ever run track if you've seen the olympics what is the cardinal rule when you're running a race focus don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Don't look behind you. All of that hinders your progress. So what he's saying is, I am pressing on vigorously, continuously. And he says, I'm straining. How many have ever seen somebody cross the finish line straining so much that they actually might take a tumble? That's the word picture. That's what he's saying. He said, hey, I am in this race to be like Jesus. I am so focused. I am straining. I'm exerting energy to the point where I am reaching across the line. See, if that's, the heart, if that's the heart that we begin 2015 with, you're kind of going to be safe from that kind of stuff happening. Because you're going to be engaged with Jesus in every area of your life. You're going to be engaged. There's going to be, there's going to be this zeal, this enthusiasm. You're going to see maybe your workplace, your marriage, your family, all differently. Because now you're engaged. Now you're in process. Now you're moving somewhere, right? And, and, and we say, okay, Lord, how do we do that? Turn to Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews. So you're going to go a couple books to your right, a few books. Right after Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. We find a similar word picture, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? Verse 1 again. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. My guess is that many of us in 300 plus days from now would love to say, man, 2015 was a great year spiritually. 2015 was a year that I made some progress. I look back on 2015, 300 days from now and go, yeah, it was progress made. If you're going to do that, if that is your desire a year from now, to be able to say that, verse 1 says, we have to throw off some things that hinder. There might be sin issues. And we got to keep our eyes focused. We got to keep our eyes focused. And we're going to look this morning, we're going to ask ourselves, and we're going to ask God to show us, Lord, in this race we're running, are there things in my life that are hindering this race? Are there things in, are, is, are there sin issues that are entangling me? Have I lost my focus? I'm running this race and I'm supposed to be looking at Jesus, but I'm looking at the crowd. You know, I'm waving at the crowd. I'm looking at all the stuff in the past. We're going to ask this morning, and, and however many weeks it takes, Lord, show me my, really it's a heart issue. Right? A great verse. If you if, turn to Proverbs 4.23, this is a wonderful memory verse. If some of you are looking for a verse for the year or for your life, this, this is huge for me personally and in ministry. Proverbs 4.23. Encourage you to do the reading plan. And like I said, uh, and Tyler said, it may not take a lot of time minute-wise, but if you chew on a word, a verse, a phrase for the whole day, God can do some wonderful things. Reading plans are in the fellowship hall as well. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. Everyone say heart. In the Bible, the heart means the core of your being. It's who you are. It is the deepest part of you. It's really what makes you tick. It's what makes you tick, right? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So if we're going to run this race, if we're going to be laser focused, if we're going to throw things off, if we're going to be freed from sin, it begins with our heart. It begins with our heart, right? Greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And here's the thing. If our heart is right then, and we're loving God, Jesus says your obedience is going to follow. If you love me, you'll obey me. It means it's a fruit of love is obedience. If you're struggling with obedience, ask yourself if you're struggling with love. Okay? He says it's the wellspring of life. It's like this again. You know, I love illustrations. There's a hub here. And all these spokes attach here. And this is like our life. All these things, career, money, health, family, friends, whatever you want to call it, issues. What, what's the hub for you? Really, what, what, what is everything connected to? I know you'll tell me what it should be, but really what is it? And we're going we're gonna to be honest with ourselves and we're going to look at it because even though we know what it should be, 
we can, it's so subtle that we can really shift it. Because, see, for me, you know one of the things I have to guard against becoming the hub as a pastor is being a pastor. I can, if I'm not careful, everything I do in my life revolves around this church and running this church and preparing for a sermon and counseling and doing everything we need, planning events, all this kind of stuff. So if I'm not careful, my hub in life is the pastorate. And how I act with my family, my priorities, spend my money, everything I do is really revolving around running a church. It could be, with the best of intentions, your marriage. It could be being a dad, mom. It could be your career. It could be health issues that are really driving you right now. It could be your finances that are really the hub. What really is driving you? What really kind of is affecting everything in your life? What's the hub, right? And we're going to look at that because the Bible says in 423, your heart is the wellspring, right? There's a guy named Henry Blackaby in his study, Experiencing God. He says this, a love relationship with God is more important than any other single factor in your life. Everything in your Christian life, Everything about knowing Him and experiencing, experiencing Him, everything about knowing His will depends on the quality of your love relationship with God. If that is not settled, nothing in your life will be right. Your walk with the Lord is the single most important aspect of your life. If it is not as it should be, nothing else will function properly. So if there's, if there's warning lights on your dashboard of life, goes back to the heart and your love with the Lord. And you've got to spend as much time as necessary to say, Lord, show me my heart. Show me my love for you. Is it really there? Is it really where it needs to be? Because everything in my life flows out of that. There's nothing that's independent of our love relationship with God. Nothing. As a believer, right? Colossians. Let's go back to the New Testament. Look at Colossians 3. So you go back to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? That's the order. So Colossians 3. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do. Everyone say whatever. Okay? What does whatever mean? Whatever, right? (laughs) It's not that complicated. It means everything, right? Whatever you do, work at it with all your what? As working for who? The Lord. Not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, right? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord not men. Why is that important? It goes back to this illustration, right? Everything goes back to the heart. Everything, And it says whatever we do. Sometimes, okay, even in the church, we compartmentalize. Well, there's my career, and then there's my finances, and then there's my marriage, and then there's being godly. See, sometimes we put Christ-likeness and the pursuit of a love relationship with God as just one of the spokes rather than the hub around which everything revolves and everything is attached, we put, we we just carve out, oh, this is my relationship with God here, 
equal to my career, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So maybe we just have to say, Lord, is, is my love relationship with you a hub or just a slice of my pie, the pie in my life? For some, that will be liberating. Convicting and then liberating. And it may just explain why it just seems to be this inconsistency and why it just seems to be like I start and I stop and I start and I stop. Because when, when that slice of the pie is your focus, Christ-likeness, church, da-da-da, it's going good. But as soon as you shift to another slice of the pie, Jesus gets left behind. When I'm ready, I'll get back to you. Whatever you do, Whatever you are pursuing Jesus and Christ's likeness in whatever you do. See, here's, here's, here's how you change your thoughts. Lord, instead of saying, I want to be the best husband, you say, Lord, I want to be a Christ-like husband. What does that mean? Instead of saying, Lord, I want to be the best pastor I can be, I say, Lord, what does it mean to be a Christ-like pastor? So I'm pursuing Christ-likeness in everything. Lord, I don't want to just handle my money well and balance my budget. Lord, what does it mean to be Christ-like in my money? Do you see the difference? The pursuit of godliness, of Christ-likeness, now is the motivator for everything. Lord, I want to be a Christ-like friend. Lord, I want to be a Christ-like dad or a Christ-like mom. Lord, I want to be a Christ-like employee. You see, you, you can't compartmentalize anything in your life as a believer. Whatever you do, you do with all your heart as unto Him. Lord, I want to pursue Christ in everything. It flows from Christ-likeness, a desire to love Him and honor Him, and then it flows out. Many times in the church, if you go to a Christian bookstore, what kind of bums me out is we've defined and redefined our Christian relationship as self-help. I mean, I've done this before, and I've had it happen to me in 20 years of ministry. Hey, pastor, can you give me a couple verses for? And I get what they mean. Nothing wrong with wanting some verses. Unless it's, hey, I'm real busy right now. Can you just, can you just give me a quick fix? Can you just put a Band-Aid on this, pastor? Right? They don't really want to pursue Christ-likeness. They kind of want God just to come along and fix it. Or I'm, I'm the professional, so I'm supposed to fix it. And then they get mad at me because I say, so how's your relationship with the Lord? Well, what do you mean? I'm fine. I'm good. See, they come to me, and they want, they want a fix for the issue, and then when I go Proverbs 4.23 on them, I'm the bad guy. I say, well, you know, I can show you verses... But if your heart's not right with the Lord and you don't want to obey Him, I'm kind of stuck. And I said that. Because, because there is no band-aid. It's not like take two verses and call me in the morning type of Christianity. It's, hey, we want you here to passionately love Jesus and say, Lord, in every area of my life, I want to pursue you. Amen? I want to just be pursuing Jesus in everything. See? Then your faith comes to life. Then your faith comes to life, and it's not just compartmentalized. It's not just compartmentalized. So let's look at a few areas where, where we may be losing our focus. Okay? 
Let's look at uh, Matthew 6.19. What we call the things of the world. Actually, let's go to Mark. Mark 10. Let's go to Mark 10. Very familiar passage to many of you. The rich young ruler, rich young man, right? Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, a lot of people look at this, and if you've been in a church, oh, that guy, he's so materialistic. He just had to, right? What was the root issue in, in, in relation to what we're studying? Jesus knew that he, he was struggling with something at the core, his heart. And Jesus said, hey, go sell everything and then come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad. Why? Because he had what? Great wealth. The hub of this guy's life was his wealth, his possessions. See, he wanted Jesus to do something for him. Hey, how do I get eternal life? But please let it fit my wheel. And Jesus was like, no, I'm not going to fit your wheel. I'm going to become the hub. See, Jesus didn't want to just become a spoke. He wanted to be the hub. What's the hub? And in our culture, this is a biggie, guys. Because here's the thing. And take this the right way. There's nothing wrong with wanting to provide for your family. Nothing wrong with, with accumulating some material things. That, nothing wrong with using gifts and your talents. Okay, I'm not, I'm not anti-material. Well, don't, don't get that, right? But I am saying this. Do you, are you pursuing Jesus... Or the American dream? Are you pursuing Jesus, loving Him, wanting him to be Christ-like in every area of your life, or did you, like me, get caught up in our culture with the highest value is whatever we picture the American dream to be? A house, two cars, two and a half kids. I never understood the half kid, but... Right? A dog, cat. Okay, I don't want to leave out the cat. Right? What's the hub in this culture? Are you pursuing the American dream or Jesus? And it's very subtle. It's very, it can be very, very subtle, right? Matthew six nineteen. you don't have to turn there. Do not store for yourselves treasure on earth, for moss and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart. Where's your treasure? In the American dream? In the 401k balance? Your checkbook balance? The cars in your driveway? Is that the treasure? Jesus says, I don't want to be a spoke. I don't want to be a piece of the pie. I, I want to be the hub. 
I want to be the hub, right? He's very clear in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mammon. And yet, I've seen it over and over in, in, this, in, this, in the society we live in because of our wealth and abundance here. We try to juggle it. So much of the time, so many Christians is I'm juggling my career, da 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 da, da retirement, da 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 da, and then, oh yeah, now I got to do God. There's this God thing. There's this God thing. Oh, but then there, you can't. I just love the simplicity. You can't do it. You're gonna love one, and not the other. Just right. One's gonna be the hub. One's gonna be the hub. That's real clear. James four four. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? That's painful. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's pretty straight up. That's a heart check. There's only place for one person. In the hub. And he's talking about faithfulness, loyalty, devotion. Those are the key, key themes that these verses are, are really trying to teach us. What are you most devoted to? What are you most loyal to? What are you most faithful to? Where are your resources going? That's going to help you indicate where your hub is, where your heart is. Right? They all, there's this phrase, you know, if you want to know someone's priorities, check their checkbook. Or debit card, I guess these days, or a credit card, right? Because many times, if you reveal, if you look at your spending, it reveals where your priorities are. Where are you spending your money? Right? Just, just a check. So these are all just checks for us. If we're going to be honest and say, Lord, okay, Lord, I give you permission to be brutally honest with me. What's the heart issue? What is the hub of my life? And that may not come like that. It may take time for Him to peel back layers. Really? Okay. And it just makes time, guys. You've got to hang in there. And it's going to be this tension. It is a constant tension I have. I'll be honest with you. It's so easy for me to get consumed with the things of the pastor. pastor. I, I could live, eat, breathe this because I enjoy it and I love you guys. But if I ever put the pastorate in the hub, we're all in danger. Because this becomes my thing then. And this, this church becomes what I get my esteem from and my value from. And it's all about me. Why? Because the success of this church is now my hub. You see how dangerous it could be? So even for me, with the things of the Lord, the things of the Lord for me can never replace Jesus. And that's a tension I have every day. Okay? That's a thing I have every day. So we have these things of the world, Right? And it could even be with the best of intentions. Quick story I shared with the guys. Malcolm McGregor tells of a man who had gone into business for himself, who came to him for counsel. A tremendous opportunity had come along. Once this man's business, okay, once he got his business established, he was going to have a lot of time to be able to minister at the church and help others. He had excitedly told his family that he had found an opportunity to be his own boss and have the freedom he wanted. They must understand for a short period of time he was going to have to pour a lot of work and time into getting the business started. 
And then he would help out at church. And then he would do Little League. And then he would spend time, right? You know what he did? Well, he, he had to stop going to church because he had to work. And then he couldn't go to midweek, but he had to work. And little by little, he pulled out of church. He pulled out of Bible study. He pulled out all for the sake of developing the business. Because once it gets there, then I'm going to give God myself. End of the story. He never got there. Business tanked. And he went to this guy for counsel and goes, here's his question. Why would God put me into this business just to see it fail? That's what he asked this guy. He says, he says what happened? What happened? Well, what happened was the hub. goes back to the hub. Business. Business became the hub. So the question for us, again, repeatedly, what's the hub? What really drives you? What's your core, right? Let's turn to Matthew 10. One book to the left, if you're still in Mark. It can even be relationships. It can even be relationships. There's several verses there. We don't have time to go in. I encourage you to read them, meditate on them, study them. Matthew 10. 37. Anyone. Jesus in the context is talking about what it means to be his disciple. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Woo! Is there a relationship that you've put above a human relationship that you've put in the hub? Jesus isn't saying that they're necessarily bad, but he's saying you cannot elevate any human relationship above your relationship with Jesus. And this is, this, this is a matter of, again, perspective. I talk about my challenge as a pastor. How about many of us men here who say, I'm just committed, sold out to being a godly husband. I'm just sold out to being a godly dad. Awesome! But is Jesus still first? What's the hub? And these verses are very clear. In Luke, he uses that one word. He says, if anyone, does not come, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, he doesn't mean literally hate. What he means is, if you love me this much, I want you to love me this much. And in comparison to how much you love Jesus, your relationships here look like hate. It doesn't mean you, I literally hate him. It just means love Jesus this much that in comparison... It just looks like, wow, really? So, it could be the things of the world. It could be relationships, right? It can even be worry. Turn to Matthew 6. Maybe some of us here in the hub, what really drives us is worry, fear, anxiety, right? Matthew 6.25. Therefore I tell you, do not what? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, right? Three times throughout this, verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes, right? All these things. And then look at verse 33. But seek, what? First his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For some of us, okay... 
It might be the American dream. It might be the things of the world. It might be human relationships in the hub. For some of us, it's just worry and fear and anxiety. Okay, those are, you know, things happen in life and and we all have our stuff. But the question is, is that stuff really what drives you? Rather than your love for Jesus, not minimizing things that have happened, not minimizing you have to work through things, but sometimes worry and fear and anxiety, literally crisis, literally become the hub. And the first thing you wake up, you everything you're worried about. You go to sleep thinking about everything you're worried about. Every hour through the day, you're thinking about everything you're worried about. So that could be a hub. That could be a hub, right? That could be a distraction in your run through the race. And then finally, let's turn to Luke 10. Familiar story of Mary and Martha. Luke 10, Jesus comes to Mar- uh, visit the home of Mary and Martha, right? Luke 10, 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had her sister, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to, ask, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What can become the hub of your life and my life? Straight up busyness. Tyranny of the urgent. The checklist. Jesus comes. Martha, with the best of intentions, okay? Not the best of intentions. i got to fix this. i got to fix this. Mary, hmm, just sitting at Jesus' feet. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. And finally, Martha gets mad and accuses Jesus. Don't you care? And Jesus says, Martha, let me give you a word picture. I'm the hub in Mary's life. Busyness is now the hub in your life in this situation. For some of us, even with the best of intentions, it's just busyness what we call the tyranny of the urgent. I would guess if I were to ask you what many of you are doing as soon as you leave here, you have a whole list. You're ready to go. Grab a donut and go. Right? So what's the hub? What's the hub? Because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And and I'm with you. This is a struggle. I got a wife. I got five kids. It's easy for me to just get consumed with different things that just vie. You know, to guard this for Jesus, that's an all-out effort. It's an all-out effort with all the responsibilities that we carry, each one of us, to guard our heart, to keep it only for Jesus. That's a supernatural act. So how do we do this? You've got to come back to the cross. You've got to come back to the cross. In Luke 7, there's a parable. And the point of the parable is, he who is forgiven much, loves much. 
We're going to look at that more in depth next week. But I, want to, I just want to share this with you. Christianity is not about bad people becoming good people. Because in this room, there's a lot of good people. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're good. Right? You're a good person. Right? If you're sitting next to a good person, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> don't feel bad. You know, maybe they don't know. Right? Here's the thing. If, if, you, if you want to begin the process, not only of, of allowing yourself for God to search your heart and, and spend some time in confession as he reveals, come back also to the cross. If you want, if you want a, heart, a right heart for 2015, two C words, the cross and confession. And here's what I mean by the cross. Christianity, you know, sometimes Christians say to me, I don't have a testimony. Anyone ever say that? I don't have a testimony. I grew up in the church. I don't have a testimony. See, that, that indicates that you don't understand really the nature of the gospel isn't that you were super bad and now you're super good. See, what it means is the, the core of the gospel is, Daryl, it's not that you were really bad. It means that you were really bad off. It means because of your sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. It means, Daryl, you, like everyone else in here, all the other good people in here, we were as bad off as we could be. Not as bad. See, a lot of times, oh yeah, boy, those people in prison, they really need the gospel, but I'm okay. The gospel is for people who are as bad off as they could be. And what do you mean by that? Turn to John 3. We'll close with these verses. We're going to start a very familiar one, John 3.16. You're like, what do you mean I was as bad off as I could be? This is what we mean. This is the heart of the gospel. This will begin to stir you in your love for Jesus. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not, let's keep going, though. Let's keep going. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Good news so far? We like those. Let's keep going. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Good news? Many of you here, right? Let's keep going. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of God's one and only Son. If you hadn't believed in Christ, remember before you, were, before you were a believer, it wasn't that you were a horrible, bad person. It means that you were standing under condemnation. You were condemned already. It's not about morality in a scorecard. It means because of your sin, you were under God's condemnation. That's your position, your state. Look at, John, look at the very last verse of John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You want to know the good news of the gospel? Before you believed on Jesus, Brenda, you were condemned and God's wrath was upon you. You believed in Jesus. You're declared not guilty, fully righteous. You could have been the most saintly, moral, great person in the whole world, Brenda. But without Jesus, the Bible says you were condemned already and the wrath of God was abiding on you. 
Through faith in Christ alone, Brenda, good, moral, perfect, almost perfect Brenda, before you know Jesus, but through Christ alone, the good news, the core of the gospel is that your condition has changed. You're no longer under condemnation and you're no longer under God's wrath. Amen? So who here has a testimony? Everybody! And it's the same one! <laughs> it's literally the same one. Do you get it? You, we all share the same testimony. I once was under God's condemnation and wrath. I'm declared not guilty, fully righteous. Amen? We all share that testimony. It is not about, oh man, you were really bad. Not so bad. And you sit here going, oh, I have no testimony. You have a testimony. Hell. Heaven. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, as we prepare for communion, we celebrate our testimony. We celebrate that through faith in Christ, we are no longer under condemnation. We are no longer under your wrath. We've been declared not guilty, fully righteous, and heaven is our home. May that forgiveness and that truth begin to stir up in us infinite eternal love, thankfulness, and gratitude. And then, Lord, we give you permission this morning to search our hearts. Apostle Paul talks about running this race really focused. And we've heard this morning that there are things that can be really, really good things even that compete for, for the core, for our heart. The things of the world, relationships, worry, busyness. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for the times when I just allow, even without realizing what's happening, I just allow things to take the heart, take the hug. And so in this time of communion, we're going to hold the cups, remember our wonderful testimony, Jesus, remember your love for us, but also maybe a time of confession to put you back in the hub, Jesus. Back in the center of our heart where you need to be at all times for whatever we do, we would do it as unto you. We give this time of communion to you now. Amen.